Welcome to the best and probably only critical analysis of all five Oscar-nominated animated short films you can find. To our new listeners who found us by searching on iTunes, it was such a pleasure to have you with us for one time. We air every Friday, but we'll see you again this time next year. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a show about, what are we talking about? Animation and storytelling and Oscar-nominated short films on this particular nah, episode. Nah, nah. <laughs> I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. So what we're going to talk about today are the Oscar-nominated short films animated division. Is that a thing to say? <laughs> animated short division. Animated oh, you short said division. Short. I just said short. And now just short, short. Story bear, story bear. <laughs> um, last year, this is our second time in a row where we've done this, where we've actually seen all of the short films nominated to take a, take them apart and look at them from narrative and character development and style all at once. So you get five for the price of one this particular episode. So we, we have done this before. You could listen to episode 12. Wow, episode 12. What are we on now? 60, yeah, it was a long time ago. 63. 63? So, so uh, over 50 episodes ago, you can listen to episode 12 to hear about the history of the animation categories at the Academy Awards and also listen to our critical analysis of last year's nominees. Which is fun time. This year, so. we're talking about um, the five nominees, um, and I'm probably going to butcher some of this. I apologize, nominees, if you're listening. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about um, Blind Vaisha from Theodore Ushev, Borrowed Time from Andrew Coates and Lou Hamu Lodge. That's probably not right at all. I'm sorry, Lou. Um, <laughs> Pear Cider and Cigarettes from Robert Valley and Kara Speller. Pearl from Patrick Osborne. And Piper from Andrew Berlaro and Mark Sontheimer. Yay. I made my attempt. Yay. <laughs> you good job. I, you did better than I probably would have. You good job. You good job, Mackenzie. <laughs> we're, we're on Blind Vaisha already. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, tell me about um, the themes you've picked out of this year's nominees. Well, looking at them, there are about four different, if we look at style, okay. we'll start there with style in terms of the thematic style. We have different art forms. We have one that is the style of Linocuts, but digitally made Linocuts, which we'll talk about with Blind, Vi Blind Vaisha. Um, we have CGI, which is a little bit more, if we say traditional in terms of now, it's weird to say that. Heavy but, air quotes. But more traditionally animated CGI. Um, oh, new oxymoron, contemporary traditional. Ah, yeah, there we are. Um, with Pearl and Piper and Borrowed Time. We have the graphic novel style from Pear Cider and Cigarettes which was actually animated completely in Photoshop, which I think That's is pretty cool. remarkable to hear. Um, and <laughs> when Robert Valley would tell people that, they were like, uh, you did what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that was built for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we also have the style of virtual reality through Pearl. So lots of different storytelling techniques and lots of different art forms being told. But if we get into... Themes and narrative and storylines. We have three of the shorts, somehow about parenting and parents. We have one about friendships, mm -hmm. uh, one with animals. Um, three that These are overlap, by the way. Right. Three that are mostly silent, and two that are told completely through narration and no dialogue. So it's just looking through that, you you start to see they're a little bit more 
I want to say diverse in style and form from last year's nominees, which is nice to see. Yeah, there's definitely more diversity in style and form. Um, I think that you do see some of the creative things that happen out of limited budgets for short animation in this year's. Like I think like when you're making a short animated film, um, you don't always have like the big budget of an animated feature movie. So you skimp on a few things. You creatively find ways around them like dialogue. Right. Like you're a single animator making this movie, this short, um, what are you not good at? Uh, voiceovers. Okay. Let's not have voiceovers. And I'm not saying that's true of all these or any of these necessarily, but that's something that, often happens right they tend to be usually the short films and this was true of several of last years they were told in silence there's not a lot of dialogue even not a lot of narration it was all done through some sound effects and you mostly have a a silent movie going on Mm -hmm. which i was surprised how many of these did have a little bit of dialogue but um the dialogue was very very um, sparse in this year's nominees beyond yes. Blind Vaisha and Parasite and Cigarettes, which told their stories in third person. Yeah. So I don't know if that's really or dialogue. First, it's like the narrator doing impressions of people. Right. No. <laughs> well, Parasite and Cigarettes, I guess, is first person, it's and Blind Vaisha is third person. Yeah. So I just want to. I mean, they're both my... stories, but one's like a a fairy tale one's a recounting of a real event one's more of a memoir style but we will we will get to that when we talk about that one i have some things to say about it um (laughs) don't we all i think so um (laughs) but are there any other things that you noticed from this year's nominees based on you you were talking about the limited budget and things that might might come out of those uh, well, I wasn't aware until you said it that Pearl was VR originally. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Because um, I know Blind Vaisha is also being adapted into VR. So VR is apparently a theme this year. Hmm. Um, and I think Blind Vaisha, as we'll talk about, is a perfect fit for VR just based on how it interacts with the audience and like what it asks you to do. Um, like literally asks you? Yeah, like literally asks you. It's participation <laughs> theater is what it is. In a movie. Yes. I did it. Spoilers. Um, I, I, I did it as well. I, I begrudgingly did it. I was like, ah. I know. I was like, Ugh. I'll do this for theater, but not for you movies. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think there's ever been like any VR connections to past nominees. And now we have no. two right away. So is this going to take over this category? Are we going to get like a new category at the Oscars for things that are not just a stationary screen, but like a, an experience, a virtual experience. Will that be something we see in the future? I mean, well, seeing by as future, how we I don't have now, because <laughs> now it's the future. I, I would say since we haven't seen something in terms of uh, Academy award for video game cutscenes, <laughs> I, I, I think that we're okay in not getting, Specifically, a separate category for anything that's specifically VR. Now, but if it's not a if it's not a game with interaction, if it's just like something you watch and experience, and more than just a single plane, mm, we don't have to have the answers for these. I just think I this still, is a possibility. I don't think that VR on its own. I, I don't know if VR on its own can become its own separate thing. I think it could be part of this category as long as it has narrative. I think I, I think that's the one you. thing that Pearl has is, is is it has a narrative. It's not just about, let's say, riding a roller coaster, you know, doing a VR f- experience. It's telling a story, but it has without the VR, the story still stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wasn't aware that it had VR at all, just based on the the cinematic cut that they've released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you c- I'm not sure how VR would work with it. I have an idea with Blind Vaisha, but I don't understand how Pearl would work with VR and why it needs to be in VR. Well, most of the story of of that, you know, being told in the car just allows you to look around it and be more in that environment. I guess it's somewhat environmental in the way that it's told. 
I guess we do you want to jump into it right now and start talking yeah, start talk there Pearl first we could talk yeah. pearls first it's not the first on our list but we could totally That's talk fine. pearl right now our list is just alphabetical so i don't think it <laughs> matters where we go that's true um, so pearl from patrick osborne as we're we're talking about vr i'm thinking about this and you mentioned it being in the car mostly and i think yes. that from a vr perspective i would love it if you were like if you were the car in vr and so i'm thinking specifically in the cinematic cut you get the scene um, I'm pretty sure you're from the girl's perspective watching the car be towed away in the cinematic cut. And I think that's right. I might be wrong. I feel mm-hmm. like from a VR perspective, I'd love to be the car watching the girl fade into the distance as you are towed away. Mm. But then how would you get back to the story if you're gone now? Well, Unless... How do you jump forward in time? I think it goes straight back to the car, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. To a new car. Oh, to a new car. You, you could experience the new car being birthed out of the tailpipe of the old one. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I, think, I think what's interesting about it is, okay, so Pearl is a story of a father and a daughter the, yeah. living out of their car, the father realizing that he wants to provide a better life for his daughter, and they end up in a small home, um, I guess a mobile home, and they 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 get that. But a lot of the story is told of them in the car because that's their original environment. Mm-hmm. And I think with the VR, you're sitting in the passenger seat, essentially, of the car. And because you're able to turn and look in the back seat, you're able to look at the father, you get to choose... If you're watching the daughter and what's going on with her versus turning your head and looking at the father because it's 360, so you could look out the back window. You could look at the, you know, look at the landscape like you're in the car ride. It just tries to get you into that environment. And I think I'd like to experience it several times that way. I have seen this film twice now. Um and cinematically not knowing that it was made for VR, um, I wasn't as impressed as I wanted to be either time that I saw it in theaters. Um, and I think I'd love to experience in VR watching just the driver's seat, watching just the back seat, watching just the outside, and seeing all these moments through different interactions. And I'm wondering if the choose your own adventure or choose your own focus is part of that what what can make that a little bit more interesting mm-hmm. and i think the story is well done i it's told mostly through in terms of silence there's there's not a lot of dialogue between characters you just see what's happening you get an idea on what's going on with them and the story advances forward and just pushes forward and based on who's in the driver's seat based on what's happening outside the car, based on how old the daughter is, you start to see that the story's being told through time. Time jumps very quickly in it. And um, I mean, it's essentially a music video. Yes. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a music video. Um, yes. Which I like. It's, it's good music. On the bright side, they have made an animated short for a song that is good and catchy and stays in your head. And it's not just a secondary thought. Like the music is designed to be good for this short about musicians, which is great. I love when people put thought into it like that. Yes. It's, if, if the song wasn't good, then the story of the this young girl slowly becoming an artist in her own right. You know, there's something to be said since this is our first one of the three parent films um (laughs) as as a parent you start to wonder you know oh goodness hey oh oh we are experiencing vr on writers get animated on writers get animated thank you nigel oh she's in the back seat oh there (laughs) there we are over there he's 
They're outside the car. What's going on on this side of the street? Not not much. Going. Oh, it's snowing. Ooh, Does it have basically Whoa. the same cuts? Yes, it's all the same cuts. I could look down at the. Hey, there's some tapes on the on the ground. There's a. <laughs> Stuff if you want to see the entire story and just judge people by what they have on the floor of their car, you can do that with this film. Yeah, oh, he's it's a stick shift, which I didn't notice in the actual theater, whether it was a stick or an automatic, but I could see it's a stick shift. This is actually uh, a little bit more interesting <laughs> in VR. I think that's what we were saying. We Yeah. Okay, I'll have to find this in VR now. I'm going to put this down now because I'm totally distracted by these children playing in the back seat. I'll need to get a cardboard box to put my phone in. Yeah, you'll you'll have to strap a cardboard box to your head because that is um that is a little bit interesting. <laughs> that was kind of fun to to see it that way, but I think for Pearl in VR because that environment is so strong it's you're able to tell the story of a family in one particular location. And because that location is so tight and small, you really want to feel that intimacy that you get of sitting in a car. There's mm -hmm. just complete closeness. I have a lot more respect having looked in a cardboard box at that movie now. <laughs> so... You heard it here first. The writers get animated. Having stared, I have a lot more respect for seeing it in a cardboard box. <laughs> having stared at at the at the film in a cardboard box, I I want to experience it a, a, again. I think it's an interesting way of the the environment is just so much of the story that it it just it's important well, for you to be part of it. I what I think works about that in terms of like the, the plot being about family as well. If you're in a car with these two people, our family, you feel like you're part of that family and that intimacy. And so it's, it's not just you identifying with the characters. It's you being this invisible part of the family. True. So now, I think that the concept works. So I wonder what came first if they said, Hey, let's make something in VR. And they said, well, what environment do we want to be in? Because as, as if they're expecting you to be sitting there and to be passive in terms of your body movement, they want you to sit there and the movement of your head to be what changes. You can't really tell a traditional story and changing location might be just too jarring. Mm -hmm. So being in the bathroom, being in the house, being in this, being in that, you wouldn't be watching the character change. You'd be noticing the environmental changes. If you stay in one single location, you notice the character change because the environment is staying exactly the same. Is VR cinema's solution to site-specific theater? Hmm. 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 Peter Brook would be proud. I think he would be. <laughs> the empty cardboard box. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That's the title of the book. You need to write a book about VR now. <laughs> the empty cardboard box. <laughs> so um, we, <laughs> I think we'll have a little bit of a follow-up after we've both stared into a cardboard box at this film <laughs> a couple of more times. So, <laughs> and maybe some other, we could do a VR episode if we find some other VR animation. <laughs> So we will come back to Pearl, but I, th I think those are some good questions to start asking about that. So I think it loses something being in the theater, having just experienced it for a little bit in a, in a box. Which then begs the question, will the voters of the Academy be provided a cardboard box or know to get a cardboard box, or are they just seeing the cinematic cut where it loses some of the magic, as I also felt? I think they probably are watching it on DVDs and the cinematic cut where your eye is directed by the director at that point. It's a little bit as, as happens with film, your eyes are directed by the director. <laughs> well, I know, but in VR, <laughs> it's more like theater because it's happening around you and you choose where to look at. And hopefully they've sort of guided you in some way. But I think you're still looking around and going, oh, 
there's tapes on the ground or, you know, there's, there are chips on the seat. We should also start a VR Shakespeare theater company, by the way. I think that would be interesting. Public domain. Public- we just need someone or something to animate it. So. <laughs> okay. Food for thought. Food Stay for tuned. thought. Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about Piper next? I think we should talk about the um, Sanderlings in the room. I was going to say the same thing. Were you? Okay. Yeah. I was, gonna, <laughs> I was trying to think of a good equivalent for Elephant. Um, so Piper is, of course, Pixar's uh, submission this year, and it aired before Finding Dory, which, which we've previously talked about finally. Which means that most people have seen it. Yes, most <laughs> people have seen it. Um, I have, in fact, seen this short at least three times now. I've seen it three times, yes. Oh, no, I've seen it four, because I saw Finding Dory twice. I saw the animation show of shows. I saw the Oscar-nominated animated shorts in theaters. And I have to say, every time I've seen Piper, I've loved it. It There's, there's, a, there's one word. It's just charming. It's just all around charming and sweet. It's... It's simple in its what it's getting across, but it's just so joyful. Yes, it's this short is the essence of pure joy. Like, I'm not sad to have seen this movie four times throughout 2016. I mean, 2016 is the time we needed a short of pure joy. <laughs> I I agree. We need more Piper. <laughs> <laughs> I do hope there's not a sequel to Piper because I think it would be devastating. Uh, where it would go and its storyline, but it, Piper too. Soda can strikes back. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> See, you ruined oh, it. This, I, not yet. I didn't ruin it. Um, this short is also about parents and parenting. It, so, but it different. It's mother child instead of father child. Yes. At least I'm assuming mother bird child. It might be a dad that sits on his young. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, all signs point to Mother Bird. All signs point to Mother Bird. The Father Bird <laughs> is um, not present, uh, which you don't start to question. You f- you feel sort of a Bambi mother, you know, Bambi Bambi's mother and Bambi relationship, where it's the mother trying to direct the the child to fend on their own. But here, it takes a flock to raise a child. Or in this case, hermit crabs. Um, but the idea is a flock. Right. It takes a society to help out. But also, Piper is able to find on her own the answer to her fears. Mm-hmm. Which, which... I, I think is really powerful moment. What I have to say about that, and this gets a little like off base, but hear me out, is okay. that this this short, and I'm assuming Piper is the, the child bird, the bird child. I'm assuming Piper. Um, so Piper. Um, <laughs> what Piper experiences and what we experience as an audience is essentially Nintendo video game design in an animated short. Um, <laughs> Go on. Again, hear me out. Hear me out. Um, of course, one of the most famous game designers of all time, Shigeru Miyamoto, talks about how he has designed video games in the original Mario game. If you've ever played the first world of Super Mario Brothers in any form, you're familiar with like how it ramps you up. And um, I pulled a quote, the level design of Mario games often seems simple while gradually and invisibly teaching the player what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. Ideas are introduced in a safe space and then the safety nets are removed so the player can put those lessons into action before the challenges become more complex. And so what happens in the first level of Mario is you realize you can run left to right. You can't go backwards. That's the first thing you realize. And you're immediately struck with an enemy that you have to jump over. You have to jump. So it teaches you you have to jump right there. And then you can jump over pipes. And then you get to this these two pyramid blocks that face each other with just some ground in the middle so you can jump over it but if you miss you just fall and hit the ground and jump back out and the next thing is the same formation with a bottomless pit in the middle and so it's teaching you to jump over various things and what you need to do to survive and the same thing happens in piper 
where Piper is um, raised in the nest and that's all that she knows, or he, child bird, that's all the bird child knows so far. And the mother coaxes Piper out to the waves to find food. That's the first challenge. That's learning to run in the Mario game. Um, and then Piper's, of course, hit by the wave, but the mother bird is there and saves Piper. Off screen, but that's implied. And then later, when Piper is stuck in the waves, no one is around to help Piper. The safety net has been taken away. And we also see um, when the bird child's originally hiding and the hermit crabs come out under its feet, you see the hermit crabs bury in sand, and then later that's happening in a less safe environment. So you're seeing all the little elements build into what ultimately happens in Piper. Safe experience of things into learning what to do on your own. And because we as an audience have no idea how Sanderlings function or find food, we're learning this as well. Unless you've read the Wikipedia article ahead of time, which I did not. <laughs> You're I learning not with either. Piper. So it's a fun experience for you as a viewer, as well as to watch the bird child learn how to live. That's my tangent. And I think you're also mesmerized just by how beautiful it is. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Sand, feathers, those two things. Because you get the idea that, and this is the same thing you have at the actual beach. I think as a kid, you look at sand, you're like, wait a minute, I thought it was just brown. <laughs> what is what is this? Because you, you're used to cartoon sand or movie sand. You don't, You never get a close look. And Piper is very much about as much about macro photography as anything else you just you're getting yeah. right there seeing everything completely magnified and sometimes even going out of focus on a main character to show the the environment on its own one might say the animation is very granular <laughs> one might and wouldn't be uh, wrong. They would not be wrong <laughs> if they said that. They would be very, in very... In this example, I would not be wrong. Um, <laughs> That's right. So this film, of course, Pixar is uh, where I am in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I, Bay Area being the emphasis on in San Francisco. Um, and it's inspired by animals and the environment around here. So it's really interesting for me living out here and have been to these beaches and seeing similar things like the kelp that's washed up on the beach that Piper hides in at one point. Like, that's extremely photorealistic animated kelp. Like, I was really impressed. Like, it's the right distance up the beach from where the tide would have taken it. It's everywhere you go on the beach, there's lines of this kelp where the tide has pushed it and left it there. Um, and it's that exact color. It's that exact texture. It's that exact weight. And the bird hides in it. Like, even ignoring how fine the sand and feather details are, like, the kelp alone wowed me. <laughs> but what's amazing is... Your first thought watching it is, my God, that's gorgeous. And then you're <laughs> yeah. fully taken into the story. You're fully taken in because you're rooting for this cute little bird from the get-go. And because it's so cute, you're just like, your socks are charmed off. Charms mm -hmm. the socks off of you. You are just following it. And then the big scary wave comes which isn't really all that big, but it is all that scary compared yeah. to this tiny little bird. And you jump cut, smash cut <laughs> to uh. <laughs> completely traumatized <laughs> Piper, just like <laughs> out of sorts, <laughs> gone. And everyone laughs at that. Every, like, there's never anyone in the theater who isn't either saying, aw, or laughing. Or both I at the same time. All four times. It's always funny. It's that it's that bathos. Like, look at this danger and immediately cutting something so funny. Like, you're cut away. You're, like, expecting something traumatic in Pixar style, like, really dangerous and, like, tension. Instead, you cut away from the actual, like, moment. And it's just this funny moment of this drenched <laughs> bird that looks so disheveled. <laughs> Shivering and shaking, like... <laughs> <laughs> If you're laughing right now, you're picturing it in your head. <laughs> I know. It's your mind VR. That poor bird. <laughs> uh, 
in summary, we both love Piper, and it did actually win the Annie Award for short format animation too. So that's a point in its favor. <laughs> Poor bird. I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> oh, oh, that. Well, bird. before Chris dies, we should probably switch tracks and talk about. Uh, our third parenting film, which I'm not sure which one you're interpreting this as, so I will leave it to Chris <laughs> to say which film is our third parenting one. Oh, goodness. Uh, whew. Am I borrowed time? Borrowed time. Okay. Is our th- I wasn't sure if that was parenting or friendship. I couldn't tell. Uh, that is parenting. That's okay. uh, coming away. Uh, old Western, which I love Westerns. I don't know why I like Westerns. Well, you're you're from the Southwest. I guess I guess that's it. It must be. <laughs> I th- I think Back to the Future Three is probably the best of the trilogy, and I know that's probably an wow. awful thing for me to say. That's like saying Alien Three is the best one. Oh, that is nothing like the sort. That is nothing of the sort. Don't even don't even <laughs> don't even put those <laughs> words in my mouth. <laughs> but we get this borrowed time. It's part of the Pixar's co-op program that allows artists to use Pixar's resources while they're doing their independent films, which I think is pretty cool. Yes, this is not Pixar funded. It's not Pixar sponsored. Pixar is nowhere credited in this movie except maybe for the co-op program. Um, And you you can see that visually very early with some of the things they do. This is not a Pixar kid-friendly film, but it looks like a Pixar film. It looks absolutely, and I think most of that is character design. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character design is very much of a, it sort of reminded me a little bit of, um, I want to say the Incredibles style of character design. Yeah, more like so than thin s- mouth. Right. As opposed to something like Ratatouille human design, it felt a little bit harder angled and a little bit more of I think they were going for the old west kind of imagery that you would have mm-hmm. so things are a little bit sharper things are harder things are you feel like you feel the edges of it um, especially on the main character who is a grown-up sheriff who's returning back to the scene of a tragedy and you know he's a sheriff because he has a badge. So mm-hmm. it's very That's how you do. It's very easy to tell somebody you know you get a lot about who this character is just by showing that badge. Uh, that's almost I don't want to say that's everything you need to know about the character, but he looks like he's had a really rough go at it. Yeah, you get the badge and like the I don't want to call it five o'clock shadow, it's more like three days later shadow. Yeah. He's <laughs> he he's been on a bender. It looks like of some kind, like something sadness bender. What's interesting is something must have happened to him recently to put this tragedy back into his mind, because the tragedy happens as we jump back in the past, a long time ago. He was a boy riding in a carriage with his father, who was a sheriff, and. The, sh- the father's driving, and they're attacked by uh, outlaws, bandits. Yeah, those guys. Like some faceless, nameless folks shooting at them. And at this point, as a side note, the film does one of my favorite things where it's like been silent for three minutes, and suddenly a character has like not just brief dialogue, but like well-voice-acted dialogue. You're like, oh, okay, you can't afford this. You have my attention. You're not using it. It's a very deliberate to not use it, but you're showing that you could if that was what you wanted to do with this film. Go on. Yes. So as we as we learn, the father gives the reins to the son who tries to say, you can do this. I need you to do this because I have to fight the bad guys and you have to keep charge of us going at breakneck speed towards <laughs> a cliff. Um which is just bad idea to drive full on. Um, and then he loses control. They fall. The father falls over the cliff. And you think that, oh, my gosh, that was it. But no. The son tries to pull the father up. 
but can't reach. So the father hands, you know, tries to hold his huge rifle to give him a little bit more of a length. And then fumbling happens and you see it coming. You know it's coming. And the son slips, pulls the gun, pulls the trigger, blasts his father. So it's not just that his father falls to his death. It's that he shoots his father and he's dead falling down. And they get like Pixar blood all over the son's face and everywhere. Like not, not kid friendly. Yeah. Um, but it's very, while you see it coming, I think it's satisfying. If I can say that about blood spatter, <laughs> um, it's a very satisfying twist. Cause it's not what you expected when the film started. Um, and you see why it's so tragic. It's not just that his dad fell off a cliff and died. It's he shot his dad. And I think it goes back to the, the gun. It's Chekhov's gun. Mm -hmm. There's a gun in there. You know, the gun must go off. And the fact that it does go off and how it, you know, the, the matter of it being accidental you know that it has to be fired. And I think dramatically, narratively, it's, as you said, in a weird way, satisfying dramaturgically for it to happen. I wonder if that's why it is so satisfying, because you first see the gun when he's firing at the bad guy. So the gun has already gone off. Right. And so, at least for me, I wasn't expecting to see the gun go off again. It's already been Chekhov gunned. But then it does... At least in my head. But then it pulls out, and then... The, the thing you think when he pulls it out and hand, extends it to his son, you're like, oh, he's going to, it's going to get shot. It's, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what happens. That's what happens in, in stories. The gun gets fired. That's what happens. It's going to happen. And, but what the question that I had is he's, because of the age difference of him during the tragedy and him returning to the scene of the tragedy, I want to say 10, 15, maybe even 20 years have gone by. I At least 20, I'd go maybe 30. So what is it about his life currently? And this is me just asking the question. I'm not saying this needed to be answered. I'm just saying just about this character. What is it that brings him back to this location to kill himself? Because he has every intention of jumping. So, did he? I feel like he did. He goes right up to the edge, ready to ready to kill himself. I kind of got that he was contemplating. I never got that he was decided on it. I think he wanted to revisit and look. And the actual fall that happens is accidental. Well, the fall is accidental, I think. Yeah. I th it's You see this a lot in film. I don't know how prevalent this experience is in real life. Um <laughs> But you, you do see where they get to the place with a little bit of the intention of maybe they're 50-50 going to, are gonna jump, but they're looking for an excuse to stop themselves. Mm -hmm. And then when they accidentally fall or they're in the motion, they have something that completely says, no, I don't actually want to do this. I don't think this is a real life thing. I think, I mean, not speaking from, I know it's a narrative or anything. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's definitely it's, a narrative thing. It's a very interesting narrative thing that happens. So, but it's, it's the, like my thing with cage birds. Yeah. Yeah. Cage birds are a thing. I stand by it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, it was, um, surprising and shocking. And that I believe borrowed time was the first one they showed in mm -hmm. in the exhibition that we saw and one of the persons that i was watching it with was like well that's a fun way to start things. <laughs> <laughs> uh i really like this one i did if if piper were not in this mix and we haven't talked about two of them yet but if piper were not in this mix i would probably pick borrowed time as my favorite mm -hmm. i think it's well done it's satisfying um it's artfully done in every aspect of its production yes narrative two and lines everything. of dialogue included yeah it's taught it's a taught story really 
Well done. So in the other realm of things, in terms of storytelling and tautness or lack of tautness, can we talk about pear cider and cigarettes? I was going to suggest it as well because I didn't want to end on that one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, pear cider and cigarettes. Um, <clears throat> the thing that I can say about this is this short, and I use short sparingly, um, this short has style and attitude. I think that's completely undeniable. It very much has a look and a feel to it. And I had to look up like more about who did this because it felt a lot like... Um, I don't have it handy, but there's a graphic novelist that I really enjoy. Jonathan Hickman. I really enjoy the style of Jonathan Hickman mm -hmm. in his graphic novels, and it felt very similar to the style in this short. Uh, and again, short is loose because this is 35 minutes compared to like the eight at most of the other shorts in the collection. Yes. The fact that it was 35, I, I was wondering if I read that wrong. It's like 35? So there, it's pushing there. It's still a short film. Yes, it's still a short film. Mm -hmm. um, it's two episodes it, of TV. <laughs> exactly. Robert Valley first wrote about his childhood friend Techno, who the film centers on. As, I, as we talked about a little bit earlier, it's a memoir film. And he, he created two self-published graphic novels. And this is an adaptation of those graphic novels by the artist of the graphic novels, um, I, I haven't looked at the graphic novels that came before it, but I can assume him being the artist of these graphic novels, he said in um, an interview, and I'll we'll post this in our show notes as we always do, talking about how he used the tools that he used to create the graphic novels to create the animation. As we said earlier, it was animated completely in Photoshop and people thought he was crazy having done that. But he's like, this is how I created the original artwork. This is how I'm going to create the film version of the, the graphic novels. It's very pretty. It's technically accomplished for the, the roundabout way he went about doing it. And I have a lot of respect for technically how this was executed and the feel that it captures. I do respect that a lot. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it is, it is gorgeous and it does feel in the best of ways, like a graphic novel that ha is breathing. Yes, and there's a lot of those like shots where it is like a frame of a graphic novel and there's like a little bit of motion, like almost like there's a punch and you see like a fist going a little bit very slowly towards the camera and like some guy very slowly falling away. It is very much like panels most of the time. Right. And some have more movement than others. And in a good way. I would not say that that, that is a bad thing. about. I think that's its strength is its style and the art of it. That is its absolute strength. I'm just looking at other examples from Robert Valley now. I've, I've Googled Robert Valley. Um, yeah, it looks all very similar. Even on paper. Even on paper. So. Even on paper. I mean, this is a rare case where the person who created the original source material is creating the, the film, so going from one medium to a different medium. Yeah. Oh, and because we haven't said it yet, um, this film is, because we are a family-friendly podcast, this film is not necessarily family-friendly in many ways. Um, so if you're planning on watching this with your kids, probably don't. Uh, Not probably don't, just don't. <laughs> Depends on how old the kids are. Yes. If, if your children have... Um, if they're 18 or older, it's yeah, okay. Absolutely. Or if they're 16 and you want to have a conversation with them about drugs and other, like... Uh, Objectifying women. Yeah. If you, if you want to have... <laughs> adult conversations with your children and want something to bring out ideas and topics, you can, uh, you can do that. If you, or if you want to feel like a cool parent, I don't know. I don't know. But is that how parenting works? Honestly, you choose things to have conversations about. I don't know. I'm, I'm still feeling the whole thing out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thankfully my son is not aged up to a pear cider and cigarettes age. Um, like either of those things, not pear cider and not cigarettes. Exactly. Neither of those things are anywhere near his vicinity. He likes 
I don't even think he really eats pears very often. But anyway, the the one thing that I think in the in Robert Valley being himself the creator of the original material, being the creator of the adaptation into a different medium, I think you get the danger of nobody checking you mm-hmm. and being unchecked. Editors are good. Editors. I think um, when I watched it and then um, after thinking about it for a long time, I think honestly it could be half the length and still be and, and actually be made stronger by being shorter. This has the pacing of a memoir graphic novel, which is what it is and who, what the person making it has experience with. Yes. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think memoir graphic novels are one of my favorite art forms, and I really enjoy them. Yes. Um, and the pacing is a certain way, but in an animated short or animated feature, like you generally expect a different pacing. And I think your expectations don't mesh with what you're experiencing in the film. And that's part of hindering it. That's not anyone's fault. That's just as a society of animation lovers, what we have kind of come to expect. Right. And I don't know if um, having seen all these other ones before it caused it to feel different. If we had seen it just on its own, as -hmm. opposed to after things like Pearl, after things like Piper, after Borrowed Time, after these taught animated, a little bit more, uh, air quotes, traditional animated narrative structured to get to something like Pear Cider and Cigarettes. I wonder if it, if part of what we're feeling is a juxtaposition, but also I think that just in general, I think it could have used some editing. Um, at University of Iowa, one time we had this playwright visit us and he was talking about giving some feedback on somebody's play. And he's like, well, why does this happen this way? Why does it happen this way? And, and ch- talking about their, the narrative and why it was told a certain way. And if they could just cut something because it didn't make sense. And the person said, well, that's the way it happened. That's the truth of it. That's the way it happened. And he said, and this just sticks in my brain a lot, his quote was, and he was from Ireland, his quote was, just because it happened to you doesn't make it interesting. And you could have heard a pin drop (laughs) in the room because everyone just got silent. The fact that it's real doesn't make it interesting wholesale to other people. There's a lot of background Seinfeld in Parasiter and Cigarettes, and do we need background Seinfeld? Maybe not. Pro- I, I, w- I would venture to say we probably don't need as much Seinfeld as we had. We watch TV in our off days. Done. That's all that I want to know. We watched Seinfeld. The first time I saw it, that's funny. The second time, we probably could have done away with it. Yeah. But there's, there's just little things where... I'm not saying lie about what happened. And I think that's possibly where you get stuck when you do something like memoir or something from your own life is you're so beholden to this is the way it happened. And in order to understand this all the way over here, I think you have to understand this and this and this and this and this and this. And you start to think of all the things that make sense to you and everything that holds meaning to you as opposed to being separated from it and being able to look at it on its own in a narrative sense and say, you know, I don't think we need this section or this section looks like this section. Maybe we can cut out three days worth. Maybe it will be stronger if this is next to this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what was missing is that personally, he's so close to what happened, you know, being it, a true story about his true friend, somebody who actually existed and wanted to tell the true authentic story of that while also being true to the original graphic novels that he created. Mm -hmm. So since there was no separation, since he was so close, I think editing might've been harder. And as a disclaimer, like, um, at least speaking for me, um, 
because this made it to being nominated for an Academy Award and has made it this far and was shown with these other features, like I do think this is a good short. Yes. I think it's easy to um, be critical of it based on other things that are around it and what choices we would have made. Um, that being said, I could not animate this. I don't think that I could quite tell a story like this yet, especially one so personal and so tragic. Um, and I do have a lot of respect for this. It's like watching a reality show on TV and like being like, I can make a better dress than that. Like, no, I can't. I can't do that. It's the final episode of the season. Like, that dress is still better than everything else that season. I'm talking, of course, RuPaul's Drag Race, but people may use Project Runway, substituting whatever dress-based reality TV show I, you want. I was totally hearing Tim Gunn, like, I, I, I guess. <laughs> I, was, I was Project runway so. See, I was trying to make it universal among two shows. That's, that's my privilege coming out there. I don't know what privilege, <laughs> but I feel like that's my privilege showing. Um, <laughs> in some way, it has to be. So this is this is like the final episode of Project Runway. Like it's it's good. It's certainly good. Um, it's easy to have criticisms at this point, but it's definitely a good piece of art. Absolutely, it's it's us asking questions about it. It's us not saying that it's not worthwhile. I'm glad I saw it. Yeah. Um, and I fully appreciate the artistry of it. It's just when we're talking about when we're a podcast about storytelling and animation. It's the question that we want to ask about how close are you to one, the original graphic novel and two, the original life story. And what as the artist, are you able to, how far are you allowed to go to have it still be quote unquote authentic? When I try to write anything based on my own life at all, like it's always very hard because I do look at it from an outside critical eye when I'm rereading it. I go, this is just not interesting at all. Like nothing about this is interesting. I've wasted all this time writing this and it's not good. Usually, um, usually the things from my life that end up in my writing um, get shaved off and shaved off and shaved off so that way they don't even actually look like what actually happened anymore. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I'll use it as a crutch to the storytelling. So that way something is there because it's very hard to make something from nothing. Mm -hmm. So you're just looking for any source material you can to prop up the story. And then hopefully the story on its own will become its own thing and you can start shaving away. But that's not the intention that, that Robert Valley had. His intention was to tell the story as authentically and true as possible while doing it in a form of storytelling and form of artwork that he was good at. Mm -hmm. So intention is everything. Master words. Master words. So uh, you were about to say, I was going to say, speaking of mastering artistry, should we talk about Blind Vaisha? I think we should, because yeah. it's on the list. <laughs> Those are our reasons. <laughs> Those are our reasons. Also, um, it's the last one that we have to talk about. So let's, let's talk about it. It's very interesting. It's so different than what we, you would expect from an Oscar-nominated animated short film. Um, it, as you mentioned earlier, it is... Um, Linacut's style. So they got a, um, they the Theodore used because I'm on a first name basis. Theodore Ushef used a tablet to do the drawings, and then when we say Linacut, we mean like you shave away parts and kind of make this thing. And so rather than ever using undo when he was drawing, he just let the lines be there, so it looked more authentic and kind of more medieval and actual Linacut e, um, which creates this interesting style if you have all these characters with like extra lines and things that shouldn't be there. So it looks much more traditional. Well, afterwards we were all talking, trying to figure out like that was masterful. Did they actually make lino cuts? Did they actually go out and carve these, make these wood carvings and, and create them? And is that how they actually made them? And there was that big question because it just, uh, I was so curious about the artwork that a lot of the times it took me a little bit out there just because it was so visually striking. Mm -hmm. 
and it kept keeps you at a distance. And yet, while it keeps you at a distance, as we mentioned, this is participation cinema. And the film's narrator literally asks you as an audience to do things. Close this eye. Okay, what do you see? Now close the other eye. Okay, what do you see? So it's this distance in art, but closeness. It's almost Brechtian alienation effect. Because um, you're, you're not watching a movie at all. It's You're participating in the movie, and you're also like, know that it's art based on the art style. Well, it's funny that you should mention that. Oh, okay, go on. What do you know? Because <laughs> they actually talked about that. Oh. So they, they did say that it was, they mentioned uh, Brecht when they were discussing the making of this particular film. They mentioned Brecht. Uh, I'm trying to see if I could find the quote from it but tell a little bit about how they started where they got the inspiration from the artwork yeah so this is based on a short story that theodore ushev was working on i think a collection of short films for various shorts in this collection of stories and then got to blind vice and decided this is a good standalone piece um and it does look very medieval because it is in medieval inspired um, Ushev began working at, and I'm going to butcher the name of the Abbey too, Fontevraud Abbey in France. Um, and he was working on the story for a month and inspired by a lot of the medieval drawings that you would find there. Uh, so he did 50 paintings uh, and drawings inspired by the Abbey's architecture and used that to make the basis of the design for the film. And it's often, if this matters, it's inspired a lot by the paintings of Eleanor of Equitaine who I don't know as an artist at all, but there's that if you're into art. <laughs> so here's the quote that I found. Um, so he said, quote, the moral of the story is to raise the question of living now in the present. We don't have to let the nostalgia of the past and fear of the future destroy today. So I created an open interactive ending. You ask the audience to think and then decide the ending of the film. I was thinking of the idea of a box. It came from Bertolt Brecht, the famous playwright and director who used the distancing effect. He always kept the audience aware that this was theater, not real life. That's why I made what the audience sees as a box, a square that is four by three on a screen. The part Vaisha sees is full screen, but split. But when the audience watches, it's all in a box. The real thing is Vaisha, not what you see. I open the screen to the audience. The film is over. Now it's up to you to decide how to end this story and how to see the world today through your own eyes. So as we've said before, we've, we've referenced Brecht before, but this is the first time when an animator has brought up Brecht in, their, in an interview saying, I was going for the distancing effect. We're like, oh my gosh, it feels Brechtian. And then for me to see the words Brecht, Bertolt Brecht coming out of the, the animator's mouth was it's like, yes, we did it. There's a lot of theater theory in this episode of Writers Get Animated. So thank you, Theater Degrees. Yes, thank you, Theater Degrees. And thank you, <laughs> Oscar-nominated shorts for playing in theater and environment and alienation effect slash distancing effect, whichever one you want to translate your German into. Yeah. I, I like this. Sh I also like this short a lot. I've thought about it a lot. I don't know if I would, I don't think I originally liked it, but the more I think about it and the farther we get from when I originally saw it, I think I like it more and more. It's one that has, that's stuck with me a little bit more. I see it mm -hmm. very vividly mm -hmm. and the concept of it, of out of your left eye, you see only the past. Out of your right eye, you only see the future. But you, you're blind to the present. As a concept, you start to think about seeing your own parents as both simultaneously children and people about to die. It's, it's just an interesting concept of how you look at the world. 
And similarly, one thing I liked about this adaptation of this old story is it adds like this like post-apocalyptic aspect to it too. And sometimes it was far in the future where it looked like the world ended and there was a war happening. There's like people with guns and tanks added as a visual to the story, which I thought was an interesting take. Mm-hmm. I liked it. And mm-hmm. I, like I said, I liked it more and more. Just like you, I had the same experience. Like I was a little bit of... As long as I, I was going along with closing my right eye and closing my left eye and rolling my eyes as I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but I still did it. And I was a little bit like, well, that's a little bit too on the nose. That's a little bit, you know, hitting you over the head with something. But it stuck with you. It stuck with me. I mean, that's what Brecht is. Like, as a story, it's not as enjoyable to experience, but it sticks with you because it involves you and asks you to do things. Right. Like we as writers get animated do not endorse Brecht as a storytelling device. Um, but darn if that doesn't stick with you. Yeah. It's lecture theater. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to, what were the other films that you saw that were notable ones that people ah. should see if they want to have another experience? So in our, our now annual production of this style of episode, I guess, um, I, <laughs> I do want to bring up other shorts that I saw this year that I think were good. And both these other two ones that I endorse, um, I saw the animation show of shows. If there's a screening coming to you, um, Google it. I think it's worthwhile. Um, Stems by Ainsley Henderson is this wonderful like stop animation film. It's kind of also music video. There's real people involved in it, but it's stop animation and all the stop animated creatures are made with like organic things like leaves and flowers and also like broken electronics which is this really cool visual mix Hmm. and there's a trailer in vimeo which we'll post in our show notes um and then also explosi which is i don't know how to describe it and what's real and what's not about it it's a fake question mark pitch for an app that helps you animate and it begins like animation animators are expensive and ask for a lot of junk food don't you wish you could cut them out then download explosi and there's a website about this fake app and i don't really entirely know what's made up and what's not (laughs) but it's, it's a really funny short is what it comes down to about like machines that make animation for you and it shows these great examples of what machines have come up with and it's delightfully horrifying Uh, so, Chris, at the Academy Awards on Sunday after this airs, um, animation-wise, what do you think is going to take home awards? Okay, well, let's talk about shorts first because that's what we focused on today. I think based on the narrative structure of it, based on the artistry of it, I think Piper's going to take it. I agree. Um there's good competition this year and it is very diverse as we talked about in terms of its animation style but i think piper while i don't always endorse pixar for the best short animated those aren't the right order of words for the best animated short (laughs) um i think piper is a delight and one of the best short films that i've ever seen Mm -hmm. and for animated feature i do think it's it's a it's a little bit of a tough one this year, but I think that Zootopia is going to take it. I'm also going with Zootopia, and if you're curious about why, you can watch it on Netflix right now and listen to the Writers Get Animated episode about Zootopia, which is episode... Um, but if you just look at our list of former episodes, look for the one... That says Zootopia after it. Yeah, Modern Fairy Tales, Zootopia, something like that. Um, and as a bonus, I don't think that any awards for music or documentary are going to go to animated related things, but I am going to give the visual effects Academy award to Kubo. Okay. You don't think that Lin-Manuel Miranda is going to get his EGOT? No, I mean, I don't think La La Land is going to get best picture, but it's going to get a lot of music related things. So Lin-Manuel Miranda can come back for an EGOT later. I don't think this is his last chance to EGOT. Probably not. We should probably, probably include a link to what EGOT is in our show notes, too. We will. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Mackenzie, what was your favorite thing out of these episodes? 
Uh, I think we've already talked about it, but it's it's the smash cut in <laughs> Piper to the shivering, disheveled bird that just makes everyone laugh. And as a bonus, because we already talked about that, immediately afterward, when the bird is so fearful of the waves and is like dancing down the sand, just beep, meep, and then runs, meep, meep, like looking up like that, I think it's also funny and worth mentioning. Yeah, uh, it's the same. It's the same thing. For me, it's just that shot of that poor bird. That and because poor, we poor agree, bird. you know it's a winner. Exactly. It's very rare that it happens where we have the exact same favorite thing. It hardly ever happens, but it is so striking and so satisfying in that moment. More Perfect satisfying than the father getting shot in borrowed time. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why that's more satisfying. I don't know. So for some reason it just is. <laughs> Funny, tragedy. Uh, uh. Father shot, kid hit with a wave. You know, it's, it's same kind of like it's both both are shocks. One is just yes. delightful. Anyway, uh should we talk homework time? Yes, let's. Hey, computer, next time we're going to talk Lego Batman and his Lego Batman movie with all of his friends who aren't friends. They're just people that he knows. So watch Lego Batman movie and come back to us. Awesome. <laughs> As always, we want to say thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our engineer, and thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. And another thank you to Nigel Coutinho for providing our VR cardboard box for this episode. Yeah, that was um, cool. <laughs> in the moment. That's research. <laughs> um, you can catch us, um, well, find our show notes on writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Um, if you have any thoughts about um, our picks for Academy Award winners or when we're entirely wrong like we were last year, uh, you can tweet at us at WGAnimated. Um, or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash WG Animated. So uh, I think I'm going to go stare in a cardboard box after this. Just that sounds for, really for sad when you say it that way. I know. I, it's just satisfying to look in a box at life going by. Sad is fine. Sad is fine. Some, oh, I see what you... Oh, okay. I said... Uh, there we go. Good, Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>